You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. It is time. It is time. They can't be Packers. No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. I have a couple of interviews for you today with some smart guys. We're going to talk about the Vikings loss. I'm going to talk a little bit of offense with Coach Hahn. Uh, he is going to get into the weeds with some offensive line talk. Uh, that's what he likes to do. If you find that a little dry uh, because you are not an offensive line geek, stick with it. He's going to talk about some wide receiver stuff. Uh, he had some stuff he was frustrated with the uh, wide receivers for, and I found it interesting. It's some commentary you're not going to hear a lot of other places, so make sure you stick around for that. And then Sam Holman, you know Sam, he is going to talk defense. Got a lot of big questions about the defense, a lot of thoughts on that. And at the end of each of these uh, discussions, I asked the guys their thoughts on these units uh, or these phases of uh, the game going forward. We didn't really spend a lot of time talking special teams. I didn't think necessarily there was a ton of uh, stuff to glean from special teams. Uh, saw some people saying, hey, you know, special teams was the best phase of the day. Uh, might be true. I don't know if that's a, a really high bar <laughs> with, with the way the offense played. Um, overall, I really didn't hate what I saw from the defense. There were some th- specific things that I hated. But, I mean, come on. The finals, the final... Uh, score 23 points to the Vikings offense. I mean, maybe over the next coming weeks, we'll find out that uh, the Vikings offense secretly isn't that good. And they're getting locked down by uh, some crappy defenses run the league. But I think that that's a pretty good outcome. And I know it was painful to watch largely because of the big splash plays where we felt like we were getting gashed, but overall defense, I largely did feel positive about uh i am going to talk with some sam about some of the stuff i saw that did concern me uh offensively look we all know the deal we are in big trouble if we don't get our tackles back and we're not going to have our tackles for the bears game fortunately the bears don't have much of a of a defense so we'll see the the uh, packers currently 10 and a half point favorites i think that is maybe down to nine and a half uh but either way it, everybody looking at this acknowledges the Bears don't have a great chance against us. Uh, I know they beat the Niners. Listen, the Niners played horrible, horrible, horrible football. That was embarrassing. Trey Lance looked like garbage. And the amount of penalties that the Niners committed absolutely kept the Bears in the game. 
listen, Bears fans are running their mouths on social media, and fine. You know what? You you beat the Niners. You have every right to go out there and brag. Everybody said you couldn't do it, and you did do it. So you, yeah, now is your moment. Go ahead. Um, you know, laugh at everybody who didn't believe you in you. I still don't believe in the Bears. Uh, Justin Fields was one of the worst graded players um, in the NFL for week one. And uh, the the rest of the Bears roster was absolutely dragging him. I know that Bears fans are posting a couple little highlights of him extending plays with his legs and then finding a receiver who's wide open with nobody around him and, and then under throwing him a little bit. You know what? If that makes you excited, you know, great, whatever. But <laughs> 19 points scoreless first half it was not a good performance by the bears not a good performance by justin fields this is a get right game for the packers i'm zero percent concerned going into this the offensive line is definitely an issue i think that the overall uh the, the the play calling and the communication was maybe a bigger issue rogers is taking some heat you kind of saw again some of what you saw in the uh, it wasn't the NFC Championship game is the divisional round game against the Niners, where Rodgers doesn't see guys who are wide open. Usually it was Christian Watson, uh, which obviously is is exciting that that he was getting open. I had very low expectations for Christian Watson. He is outperforming anything I thought he was going to do. I'm very happy about that. I want to to continue to see him grow and improve and look better every single week. Um, I, I am starting to get high on Christian Watson for basically the first time ever. But Rodgers was failing to see some guys who were wide open. He saw that on the tape. Uh, you, you, you heard him talking in, in the uh, interviews about how many missed opportunities there were. Those missed opportunities largely are, I think, a wide open Christian Watson that Rodgers just didn't see. Uh, yeah, he's a little rusty. He's got to get back in the swing of things. Uh, the offensive line giving up pressures basically all day long didn't help matters at all. There were 11 pressures given up in this game. Four of them came from Jake Hansen, uh, who was complete garbage. Um, I have not uh, had a chance to catch up on all of Ryan's pods yet. Uh, I would assume that... He did go over the uh, true pass sets and point out that Jake Hansen had a zero grade as a pass blocker in true pass sets. Never seen that before in my entire life. I'm sure Ryan highlighted it. If he didn't highlight it, it's because uh, I found it first. <laughs> uh, but that really is incredible. Royce Newman gave up another three pressures. Everybody else gave up zero or one. So um, Zach Tom, Mercedes, Josh Myers, Yash Nyman, I think that's it. Uh, those four guys all had one pressure apiece. And then uh, Aaron Jones, Robert Tunyon, A.J. Dillon, and John Runyon, zero pressures. Jake Hansen's overall pass blocking grade, so if we're not looking at just true pass sets, was a 14.4. I I haven't been on Twitter very much, uh, but I took to Twitter just a little bit before the game uh, when, you know, the the – News was coming out about who was going to be playing, and, and we found out Jake Hansen was getting the start at right guard, and I I kind of lost my mind a little bit. <laughs> I was a little upset. Listen, I have told you all along, I don't understand Jake Hansen being on the team. 
I, I know that uh, some people think he really has something special. You know, Ryan has talked about yet. Yeah, uh, Jake Hansen could be our new Lucas Patrick, you know, a guy that you trust at, at, at uh, center and guard. I don't think that Jake Hansen can be a guard. I really don't. He's too small. He's not a great blocker. Uh, I, have we ever seen him hold up against the bull rush? I don't think so. So can he be a, uh, you know, emergency uh, relief center if something happens to Josh Myers and Zach Tom and Elton Jenkins? Yeah, at that point, uh, Jake Hansen is the name I'm calling up. But I don't understand wasting a roster spot on him. I don't think he's a good football player. I don't understand why he's still in Green Bay. And giving him the start over Zach Tom, look, no matter who you put in there at right guard between Jake Hansen and Zach Tom, it wasn't going to be pretty. But my mentality is I have already kind of seen enough of Jake Hansen. I don't feel the need to continue to develop him because I don't think that he has a future as a football player. So I'd want to give the reps to Zach Tom. But you know what? The coaches who work with these guys every day decided – that they didn't feel good about putting Zach Tom there. Okay, I get it, I guess. Zach Tom did play better than Jake Hansen did when he came in the game. That's enough O-line stuff for me. Um, Coach Juan is going to talk about O-line, but I'm just... My only real concern about the team moving forward here is that if we don't get our tackles back, and I am starting to wonder a little bit, we are in trouble. I don't think Royce Newman is the answer season long for tackle Royce in true, true pass sets. His pass blocking grade went up a little bit from 47.8 to 49, but he did give up three pressures, two hurries and a sack. What you did see from him that you like is the run blocking. He was the second best run blocker on the team behind Romeo Dobbs of all people. A couple of the guys to check in on real quick. Uh, Yash Nyman, Played fine. Um, I'm happy with the work he did. Still have some concerns about what he's going to look like when we flip him over to right tackle if and when Elton or Bakhtiari come back. Uh, but he has been practicing at, at right tackle all offseason and preseason. They have done everything they can to get him ready for it. So um, I think he'll probably do fine. We did elevate, not elevate, we promoted uh, Caleb Jones from the practice squad to the active roster. I think that's interesting. And I was a little bit surprised that that move didn't correspond with getting rid of Jake Hansen. And I wonder if they would have done that had Chris Barnes not gotten hurt. So you got Chris Barnes who does need to be put on IR and was, so you have a free roster spot. And so you don't need to cut Jake Hansen at that point. But I did find it interesting, and I, I don't know. I'm just trying to turn things over in my mind because they they play different positions. All right, Jake Hansen, um, uh, you know, with as bad as he is at guard uh, compared to his play at center, which also isn't spectacular, he literally cannot play tackle. That zero pass blocking grade we saw in true pass sets from him at guard that would just be <laughs> what you would get constantly at tackle. The dude has he's he's the wrong body for it. All right, you might as well put. I don't know, uh, Kylan Hill in at right tackle. <laughs> Caleb Jones is a tackle and really kind of can't play guard. So it's not a one-to-one -one thing, but I, it, I don't know. I mean, 
Maybe this is a, a indication of a Bakhtiari setback. I don't know. What What do you think is going on? I mean, seriously, because we're not expecting Caleb Jones to come in and be a starter, but he's going to be a depth guy, right? Which means maybe they're doing a reshuffling. Maybe this means uh, Zach Tom is going to be a tackle here. And so you need another backup tackle. I don't know. But what's your theory? Because this makes 11 offensive linemen on the roster, two of whom can't play, Bach and Jenkins. Uh, Maybe week three for Tampa, we're going to get Elton back. I'm a little surprised. I, I, I think there is murmuring that Bakhtiari got re-injured, and maybe that's a thing. And and if so, do you ever expect him to return? I don't know. I thought Bakhtiari was closer to returning than Elton was. I never expected Elton to play in week one. I did kind of expect him to play in week two. Yeah, but is Tampa really the team that you want to be bringing these guys back in? Tyler Davis is the other guy I wanted to highlight before I hop to the interviews. Tyler Davis played okay. His run blocking grade was a positive, 63.6. I saw one play where he really just gave his body up and just gave it all and leveled a defender to protect the run. I appreciated that. Thank you, Tyler. Um, He had the same number of snaps as uh, Josiah DeGuara. I thought all four tight ends were used kind of a lot. It makes sense. You have a compromised offensive line. You're going to want more tight ends in the game. You have a compromised receiver room. Yep, you're going to want more tight ends in the game. Mercedes had the most snaps, and then Tunyon, and then uh, DeGuara, and Davis tied. I think we're going to see Tyler Davis kind of slowly come along and and um, see his performance improve because the team is clearly indicating – that the guy that he has been so far in games is not the guy they have seen in practice. I think he just has to work some stuff out. And he was a little bit better than he has been uh, last year. Or I should say he's been, he was a little bit better last year for the Packers than he was in week one this year for the Packers. How's that? We'll throw out the preseason stuff because that was obviously abysmal. And clearly not indicative of what the Packers think he is. So that's my thoughts. Uh, We're going to kick things off with Coach Hahn here and talk defense. All right. First of all, I'm super excited to welcome back to the podcast the one and only Coach Hahn. Been way too long. I think the last time we had John was like, I don't know, May to talk about the uh, O-line prospects we drafted. Coach, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, JJ. Congrats on being a father, buddy. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Thank you. I'm absolutely loving it. Let's talk uh, Packers. Uh, you watched the game. What did you think about uh, that O-line and my guy, Jake Hansen, that they stuck in there at right guard? You know I'm a huge fan of Jake Hansen. <laughs> yeah, you're dripping into sarcasm right now. You know, it's always a tough job when you just get thrown in against, you know, a pretty formidable defensive front, but you really want to see better technique than than what Hanson had displayed. A um, couple of plays really popping out in mind. The big one, the, the first drive for Green Bay, you've got fourth and a yard or so uh, down deep in the red zone, um, big game tone setting type of play, and you get a vote of confidence from your offensive coordinator, your head coach, your old line coach, when Green Bay comes out and runs inside zone right behind you. They run inside zone right 
Uh, you've got a three tech on you. It should be just a base drive block, a relatively easy block for you. No, no such thing as an easy drive block, but it's something you've done a billion times in your career as a right guard and uh, gets a little high. It gets actually really high out of his stance um, and then unfortunately gets overpowered, feet stop and gets folded in half. And uh, you just can't see that, not on the goal line. That's got to be the pride down, right? You got to you got to just have that that grit, determination, and that wherewithal to get the technique correct and get the job done. And I didn't see that, unfortunately. One of the big things that we talked about last year a lot was the run blocking for the Packers really just wasn't up to par, and they were doing a fine job in pass pro uh, with their cobbled together makeshift O line. The run blocking just wasn't there it seemed like the running backs were a lot more productive um, on Sunday than they were last year. Uh, What'd you think of the run blocking uh, just from the whole unit on the day? Sure. I mean, there's, there's always things you're going to work on. There's always things that you want to improve on. Um, Overall, I'm not incredibly impressed with it. uh, To be honest with you, it seemed to me like green Bay, you know, obviously game wise kind of had to abandon the run at times. um, So that certainly didn't help establish a run game. The run game is really a rhythm thing, you know, especially as you're working and you're starting to learn the nuances and techniques of the guy or guys across from you and how they're going to flow and how they're going to fit. So it does need to be fed a little bit. But when you don't get that vote of confidence early on, you know, if you can't get the job done early on, it's really tough to get that sucker going when the game's starting to get away from you. So um, I thought the running backs, uh, Dylan in particular, did a fantastic job of manufacturing yards, of breaking through contact. Um, of doing a really nice job of pulling those inside linebackers up and then hitting cutback lanes. But overall, I didn't think the blocking was overwhelming in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, definitely would not want to have to tackle Dylan. But how about Aaron Jones breaking away for over 10 yards per carry? What the heck was that? That was amazing. I do like me some Aaron Jones. Um, um, He's always been a favorite of mine just because of the human being um, that he is. But, um, yeah, I mean, they've, they've got a, quite the duo going on in Green Bay in the running back room. I just hope to hope to everything that y'all believe and that they can keep them healthy behind this kind of patchwork offensive line until you can get Bach and Jenkins back. Yeah, that's a, that's a starting to feel like an if. So, uh, man, what would, you know, if, if you're Steno, what the heck are you going to try and do? It sounds like next week against the Bears, not that they have a, a really fantastic D-line, but – uh, it sounds like we're not going to have Elton or Bach back next week. You know, what, what sorts of adjustments are you making to uh, try and give Aaron Rodgers a little bit more breathing room that he had, you know, just a little bit longer to think and wait for some place to develop or at least see one of these guys who's coming open. And, uh, you know, if you have some time after you're trying to solve that problem, you know, is there anything you can do in the run blocking game? You know, they certainly were leaning on their tight ends a lot. Uh, you had all four tight ends worked in kind of a lot all day. Anything you could do? Yeah, I think one of the things I was a little surprised on in Green Bay is that they didn't use their traditional formations to gain an advantage on the line of scrimmage. You know, they, for the longest time, were, were formational masters of using shifts, using trades, and using motions just to get some quick advantages on the on the offensive line, um, allowing for either better angles or just a numbers advantage to one side of the ball or the other. Didn't see a ton of that for advantageous stuff. It looked like more coverage check type of motions to me. Um, and that might boil down to the fact that, you know, with Minnesota able to sit back in a really comfortable cover four shell for 
the bulk of the day um, and just keep everything in front of them. Um, it might boil down to some of that. So the earliest thing I do is start to use some formations, see if there's a receiver you like to get in a one-on-one -on -one matchup and go ahead and take your shots with him uh, early and often, hopefully get that to produce and have to make Chicago adjust to some of that so you can get some of the advantages back in the box, start to remove some of these outside backers and these filling safeties. All right, let's talk about the wide receivers because um, a lot of people, Talking about the wide receivers, you know, they'll they'll highlight the, you know, the drop by Christian Watson. Um, and then after that, they kind of tend to have a decent amount of praise to go around for the uh, wide receivers, even though the production wasn't there and pin most of the blame for this game on the offensive line. Uh, you were sharing a couple of thoughts with uh, me and some of the guys in our Packernet discord. Your thoughts on the way the wide receivers played. You didn't sound so happy. Yeah, um, this is one of those things that has been a Green Bay staple since Aaron Rodgers took the helm or shoot, even before Rodgers with Favre. You know, these off schedule plays that tend to happen. This is what separates a good team from a great team. And right now the Packers have a tendency to be a good team, but good is the enemy of great. Like you got to do these little things correctly if you want to actually get somewhere and get the job done finally. So what I was seeing from the receivers um, a lot of times after the route combinations would develop. And, you know, every receiver's got a clock in their head. Okay, I should be looking back for the ball at this time on this route combo, whatever. And Rodgers gets flushed out of the pocket. Rodgers has to step up or, or shuffle to the side um, to avoid pressure by a little time. That's when that throw becomes what we call off schedule. When that all breaks down, there's very specific rules. Every team has a little nuance to them. But for the most part, it's called scramble drill, um, where you have to get to a certain point after your route breaks down. A lot of times I saw the receivers kind of turn around and just wait, you know, and just kind of become spectators and fans. And you can't do that. You cannot Rogers do that. Never throws run. that guy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Rogers never throws to that guy. The guy who's just standing there, not moving. Nope. That's never where he looks ever. Nope. Nope. And and the coolest thing about Rogers and Green Bay and, and what I've seen from their scramble drill is they always have a way to stretch the field vertically and a way to stretch the field horizontally. So the way their scramble drill works is the receivers stretching the field vertically after they get off schedule, they're going to come back to shallow and anybody shallow is going to go deep and then they're going to cross field with it, start using some of that space to their advantage. I didn't see a ton of that. I saw a lot of frustration with Rogers um, as well, you know, as, as he's barking at some of these young guys or some of these newer guys, like, Hey, we're off schedule. That doesn't mean the play's over. That doesn't mean your job's done. So, Expect that to change um, wholeheartedly uh, against Chicago because I don't think it's going to be a very comfortable uh, practice for a lot of those receivers who weren't doing their job on that aspect. Probably not. Okay, so looking at the offense as a whole here, obviously there were uh, some problems with um, you know just poor communication or just some stuff breaking down, not being prepared. Was there anything you were seeing just from a talent perspective that would give you some concern for the rest of the season? Um, you know, aside from obviously wanting our top two tackles back, uh, because that's obviously the big elephant in the room. Anything else that uh, gives you any any pause for the overall season or you think, you know what, week two, week three, we can get things back on track here. Yeah, I definitely think you have the talent pool to do something special. You got a veteran guy like Cobb. You got a guy who's, you know, a veteran guy as well, but learning the ropes and Sammy Watkins. You know, these guys are going to develop. 
I think you got something special brewing with Dobbs. I really think you still got a special kid in Christian Watson. You know, one drop does not a bad receiver make. So you're, you're going to be okay there, I think. Um, you got two unbelievable running backs. You're going to be okay there. Depending on the tight end room, you know, I thought Josiah DeGuara really uh, – he really turned my, my head a little bit. Um, I watched him wipe out – uh, clipped two defenders on a T-screen with just a great effort play. Also um, leveled an outside backer on a Z-slip. So there's there's some really good stuff there that I, I started to see. So I think offense talent-wise, you're going to be fine. It's just how are these guys going to gel together? And are you going to be able to be healthy enough up front to make these guys as special as, as their talent shows? Yeah, that is the big question. Uh, one last thing. Um, did you uh, get a chance to... Uh, focus in on Zach Tom during this game because uh, a lot of people, you know, felt like uh, Zach Tom was going to be the, you know, the secret weapon, bring him in instead of Jake Hansen, uh, you know, and maybe he's going to get the start um, in place of an injured uh, John Runyon here for a while, something like that. We got to wait and see how that develops. Um, and then, you know, I know you're not a big fan of PFF, but PFF came out and said that Zach Tom played horribly. And a lot of people felt like that didn't quite, uh, match the eye test. What was your thoughts on uh, Zach Tom? You know, I'd love to be able to sit here and tell you, hey, man, I, I watched all this film on, on Green Bay and stuff. Everything I'm rolling off of right now is just from memory from Sunday. Um, we've been, I had a, I had a game last night and then um, all last night and all day was crunching the film and reviewing it with my players. So uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to really go through and check out Zach Tom. But I got to tell you, um, if, if I was ever in that situation, it would be a daunting task to play lights out, especially with the complications and levels that offensive linemen play with in today's NFL. So it's not surprising. Um, I can't, you know, confirm or deny what what PFF is saying about him. Um, but if I get a chance, I'll go through it and take a look at some of the stuff. And I'd love to get back to you on that. How's that sound? All right. Would love to have you back on here to talk some Zach Tom because, man, a lot of us are getting really excited about this kid. All right. I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much for your time and uh, talking some football with us. JJ, it's always my pleasure, man. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And don't forget, we have teamed up once again with pristineauction.com on another great giveaway for you. You've heard the other guys on the network talking about it. On Monday, we will be giving away a Jordy Nelson signed football championship trophy. To win, all you have to do is head to pristineauction.com to register or just follow the link in the podcast description. When you register, use our registration code FARV. And don't forget the correct way to spell Favre. It's V before R, F-A-V-R-E, to be entered. And Pristine Auction will kick in $10 off your first winning auction. The drawing will be held Monday, September 19th. Joining me is Sam Holman. I've been talking to you guys about him for forever, and uh, he's finally got his show on the Packernet Podcast Network, the Wisconsin Sports Heroics Podcast. He does with McQuaid Arnold. Uh, it is quite good. I encourage you to check it out if you haven't already, but I'm sure you have. Sam, thanks for joining the show. Uh, we're going to talk some Packers uh, defense, what we saw against the Vikings, and I'm sure it's going to be really a lot of fun going down memory lane and and reading all those Justin Jefferson plays yeah yeah that was uh it's always kind of painful to watch games like that performances (laughs) like that (laughs) 23 points to the Vikings a pretty good offense uh offense that uh many around the league are really hyping up nothing to sneeze at I think most game score predictions I saw from optimistic Packers fans had the Vikings put up, putting up at least somewhere in the vicinity of 23 points, you know, it was, oh, Packers are going to win, you know, 30 to, to 21, uh, 35 to 27, something like that. And then you get to the end of the game and you see 23 points to the Vikings. And for some reason, it feels more painful than we thought it would, maybe just because of the way it went down with all the big gash plays. And yeah, those are a little bit more painful to watch than just the, you know, uh, Tom Brady style uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, they're each each has its own special brand of agony. I think, um, but yeah, it, it was a really weird performance. Like like you said, you hear you know a defense you know allowing a twenty three points. You know, no, oh, you go oh oh that's that's an okay performance. That's not a bad mm-hmm. performance. They're not giving up thirty points. And I was just looking at this earlier today. They only allowed four out of thirteen third down conversions. That's good. That's like quite there were good. yeah there like. A lot, of, like if you were just looking at the box score, you might think I'm not not seeing Justin Jefferson's individual stats. You might yep. think this was a good performance by the defense, but it they were just they were just coverage busts. They just ran happened, especially it was especially early downs, which I think is kind of why the third down conversion percentage was good for the Packers, but kind of mm-hmm. didn't didn't reflect how the actual game played out. I got a lot of questions I want to ask you, um, but I want to start with the communication issues that we saw on the back end. And a big part of this uh, for me is that Rasul Douglas was talking before the game, a few days before the game about what went wrong. The first time we played the Vikings uh, last year, when uh, we lost uh, 31 to 34 and Justin Jefferson just shredded our secondary. 
and it was a very depressing game. And Rasul a couple days ago was talking about what went wrong in that game and how it was all communication issues and that that was something that he felt confident they were going to clean up. Clearly, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on those communication issues? Uh, do you think that um, we have some issues uh, in the secondary that are going to uh, maybe uh, keep popping up going forward. Um, and I'll just tell you, I, I have more of a, a safety conversation coming up in a little bit. So this is more about the whole secondary right now, as opposed yeah. to just specifically the safeties. Yeah. So going through and kind of watching a lot of the big plays, I didn't think that communication was a huge deal except for one play specifically, which was the long, like 36, I think it was 36 yards, 30 plus yard touchdown, um, where it, it was where Jair, I think Coach Sean was talking about it in our Discord mm-hmm. during the game, yep. where Jair let Justin Jefferson go, expecting to switch it up with uh, pass him off. It was actually it was actually Douglas, Rasul Douglas. Oh, was it really? The, yeah, that I think this is why that particular play gave them problems. So it was okay. a it was a three man play action shot, right on the outside. You've got KJ Osborne running a post. They, he, that takes Stokes out of the play. And then you've got Rasul Douglas covering uh, Adam Thielen, running yep. the deep crosser. And then you've got Jair on the other side, on the outside, against Justin Jefferson running another deep crosser. So there are two deep crossing routes kind of intersecting, sure. and that's where they're trying to switch him off. But the reason I think that that gave them trouble, specifically that Rasul, he wasn't looking for that switching off signal that Jair was trying to give him is because normally you see those those types of switch offs against two man concepts so usually Mm. you see it from the two outside corners not a slot corner and an outside corner so I think that that is just an unusual situation that because you know Rasul he still knew the slot. This is the first year he's played it. Sure. You know, he's a smart player. You know, Aaron Rodgers has said that. I I agree with that. Everything I saw on tape last year confirms that. But it's, it's that kind of thing I think is just going to take reps. Okay. All right. So that's encouraging. So that's something that they can iron out. And, and maybe this really is a, a factor of shuffling these guys around. And, and Rasul yeah. really excelled as a boundary corner for us last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it... it Watching it back, um, I think it was kind of a rough game for Rasul as a whole. There were just certain things that he he didn't seem to completely, you know, he wasn't completely on top of. Um, that actually, um, we'll, we'll probably discuss this later, but the uh, the 60-plus yard play where Justin Jefferson split the safeties, I actually put a big part of that on Rasul and what he was doing in the slot. And do, do you want to talk about that now or? Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Give me, yeah. Give me your thoughts. Hit okay. Me. So the Packers on that side, they were playing quarters. So essentially what the slot corner in quarters is trying to do is he's trying to wall the number two receiver vertical, if they take a vertical stem and then play any, anything out to the flat. Uh, and he's going to man up on anything out to the flat. Okay. But what Rasul did is he allowed Justin Jefferson to release inside him. And so Justin Jefferson was already like in the middle of the field, right? If you, if you imagine, you know, they were kind of, um, you know, Justin Jefferson was in, in a bunch set kind of uh, in, in the slot, kind of releases that field and Rasul lets him get inside of him. What he should have done is collision or collision Jefferson to essentially keep him out, keep him in the seam. 
because that okay. what that allows what that would have allowed Savage to do, who is the safety over that slot, is it would have allowed given him time to recover. You know, with, with Justin Jefferson going inside, essentially he could threaten a two way go. Like he could threaten to run a corner route, threaten to run a post, and Savage just got all turned around. If Rasul had been able to push him outside and keep keep Jefferson in the seam, Savage wouldn't have been in as much conflict and would have been able to play that a lot better. Okay, but that that is very insightful. Um, right about now, I think a, a lot of listeners are really wondering because this is what everybody's talking about is why didn't they have Jair in man on Jeff- Jefferson all day? And I do want to direct listeners. Go check out Sam's podcast from yesterday. He had a a really good in depth. Uh, breakdown of exactly how you're going to get gashed if you do that and what the Packers were doing specifically instead of doing that and why it's better. But Sam, do give us the 30 second cliff notes, um, how they were defending Jefferson. Yeah. So essentially the only way to have a specific corner on a specific wide receiver on the majority of snaps is to play a bunch of man coverage. And that's going to get you killed against a modern Mm -hmm. NFL team, especially someone from the Shanahan tree where there's a lot of condensed sets. There's a lot of motion that can really mess with man coverage. Um, what the Packers were doing instead was they were doubling. They were finding ways to double Justin Jefferson. And I prefer that just in general, even if it was a, a more static scheme from the offense, just because when you're doubling a wide receiver, you can you don't have to depend on the on an individual uh, defender yep. performance. You can take yep. away certain routes just using leverage, using different techniques and that sort of thing. Whereas even if, even if Jair had been lined up on Jefferson all game, Jefferson that he would have, you know, Jair's an awesome corner, but he would have gotten his yards. The, the, a more foolproof way to, to defend a wide receiver like that is to, to find ways to double them, kind of push coverage to that side. Okay, uh, let's let's turn our attention to the safeties because sure. they had a horrific day and certainly concerning given the year that our safeties had last year. Uh, Savage did kind of start or uh, Amos did start to kind of put it together uh, toward the end of the year and, and start playing a little bit better. Um, Savage, uh, you and I talked in the offseason um, on a pod. I, I forget. I think maybe yeah. in, in March or April. We talked about, uh, you know, how good was Savage last year? Was he as bad as people were saying? And our, our conclusion was he wasn't as bad. There were some things that he needed to work on. But then to come out uh, in this game, the first of the season, and have both safeties actually record their worst PFF grade of their careers, obviously concerning. Um, there were some goofy plays that happened. The two safeties ran into each other at one point. I know Matt Schneidman pointed out on Twitter stuff like that that was going on. Um, do you have any thoughts on the safeties? And um, I, more broadly, I have a couple little concerns about um, just maybe the the uh, attitude from some of our players that you're starting to see. And and, and my brain is just, just puts little things together and what, you know, is looking for a pattern. You know, and I, you know, I hear... Uh, Jair saying some things that, that seem a little out of character for him that make him sound a little bit uh, disgruntled. I see a play where yeah. Amos pulls up and you know doesn't chase the receiver down and just kind of seems to quit on a play. And my brain sees some patterns and I see you know some just 
issues brewing in the, in the DB room. Is that just in my head? Am I am I seeing stuff where there isn't really stuff or does it seem like maybe something's a little sour there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a matter of opinion. I, I tend to be more more optimistic about stuff. I, I okay. you know, and that's just my personality. That's not me saying, you know, that's the way everyone should be. But I, I think that I, I just think that the Zedarius experience has kind of scarred us as a fan okay. base a little bit. Yeah. And until we see like more stuff cropping up, I'm not going to get super worried about that. Um, yeah, the the Jair comments. I think that's just him being a competitor. I kind of like seeing that that attitude from him. Like, okay, you know, I want to see him. You know, kind of chomping on the bit. You know, ready to go, wanting to match up against the best, one of the best receivers in the league. So that's just my perspective. Okay, let's talk about the uh, struggles that the safeties were having. Um, no question, they had bad days uh, by their own standards, and and it, it was not a pretty sight. Um, What's your thoughts on on what went wrong with them? Yeah, um, I I think that it wasn't a necessarily as bad as some of like those coverage grades can indicate because I'm of the opinion right that the the big play that I think that a lot of those grades are being hit by that sixty plus yard uh, 60, yeah. catch and run. I think yep. that that was more on Rasul than it was on the safeties. I think that okay. Amos didn't play that great. He kind of got caught up with some traffic in front of him. But if that had been played better by Rasul, then Savage would have Savage would have been able to play off that a bit better. And so I think that because Rasul played that the way he did, um, Savage was kind of just put at a disadvantage right away. Like the, the one thing you want to avoid in middle field open coverages is letting a wide receiver split the safeties. And the way that Rasul allowed that release to happen, it, it was basically Jefferson was splitting the safeties right from the get go. And so they were, the safeties were just automatically put at a disadvantage. Um, the one other play I did notice that I would put more on uh, one of the safeties, Savage specifically, was a catch later in the game. I think it was third or fourth quarter. It was after halftime at least. Um, okay. Packers were blitzing. Uh, they were running essentially a, a bracket on Justin Jefferson where Jair was uh, – he was responsible if Je- uh, for Jefferson if he ran like vertical up the sideline, whereas Savage was kind of playing with inside leverage. He was going to take Jefferson if he ran inside on overs, digs, anything like that. And so Jefferson did run an over route. And initially, Savage played it well. He kind of – he had leverage on it, but um, there was a crossing route coming across the field and he tried to go under the defender and the wide receiver, and he lost leverage uh, against the the route that Jefferson was running. And so he kind of, because he didn't play that over the top like I think he should have had, or that he should, how I think he should have done, he kind of put himself at a disadvantage and, and was out of position uh, to make the play. Okay, uh, here's a, a topic that um, we touched on a bit in the off season. For the, for this Joe Barry defense, um, is it really difficult on the safeties? You know, people are are wondering. You know, with Amos ha- having kind of not his best year ever last year, and then you know we're one game in, and so obviously we know everything there is to know about the twenty twenty two season, and we know that these safeties are horrible and they're washed. I'm exaggerating, obviously. <laughs> But but does Joe Barry's uh, is Joe Barry's uh, defense one that really stresses the safeties and, and makes their job a little harder than kind of what they were doing under Petten? 
it, it is harder. Um, and that's not just Joe Barry. That's all of the Fangio tree defenses. Um, Brandon Staley's was like that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Sean Desai when he was in Chicago, that the kind of it's it's all the same. It's just that brand of defense because it asks right. a lot of safeties in in regards to their processing and how they, how they're asked to you know come down and fit the run. I think one one thing that may have contributed to kind of a substandard performance from the safeties this game is the game plan where they were trying to find different ways to double Jefferson. It asked a lot of the safeties, right? Sure, they were they sure. were having to do a lot of different stuff, having to line up a lot of different ways. Just ha- they had a lot a ton on their plate this game, and I think that. You know, that that kind of impacted their performance to some degree. Here's a question I probably should have texted to you beforehand so you could spend (laughs) a little bit of time thinking about. And so I apologize. But um, something that I was really geeking out about this offseason, especially with the addition of Quay Walker, I felt like something we were going to see in the 2022 season was that Joe Barry was finally going to have all the pieces that he needed to put whatever package out there he wanted. This is something that Vic Fangio was a master of was just uh, putting all kinds of crazy packages out there, confusing the heck out of you um, that, you know, no matter what style of offense you were trying to run, he always just had the perfect group of guys to put out there and having a second linebacker in Quay Walker that he just didn't have that option last year. My assumption was this was going to really unlock a lot of, fun tools for him to use. Um, was there anything that you saw in this game that uh, either confirms or uh, contradicts the idea that we might be seeing a lot more of that this year compared to last year? Yeah, I, I think that we saw that, that Joe Barry does want to get the kind of Quay and Devondre on the field at the same time and use them in unique ways. Um, I think the first drive uh, was kind of in, indicative of that. They used a bunch of different uh, formations, right? They had, you know, standard 3-4 out there, standard 4-2-5 nickel, but they were also using a 4-3 package, right? They brought Chris Barnes on the field and they were having uh, Devondre and Quay play the edges. Um, they had actually gone to that 4-3 package in the playoff game against the 49ers last year. They're kind of mm. bringing that back with improved personnel. Yeah. Nice. Um, but then the Vikings, you know, they brought in a, a heavier run set. They spread him out into empty and Quay Walker was left one-on-one with Justin Jefferson. And so they didn't go back to the, that formation the rest of the game. <laughs> um, but the, there are definitely, I, I think, ways that they're, they're going to use Quay Walker, uh, just mixing it up. Um, the, they even... Uh, they, they were, you know, j- just stuff that they use even last year where, um, like, for example, one of the kind of standard, one of the Vic Fangio kind of specials is what they call a 6-1 front, which is generally, yep. it's yep. kind of like a 4-3, right? Yeah, you've probably, sounds like you, you've heard of it, but it's, it's essentially four defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, and one inside linebacker. It's built, they, fame, the, uh, Leave the yeah the Patriots famously used that in the Super Bowl to shut down the Rams defense. Um, well, and I and I remember and I remember uh, earlier that year Vic Fangio had used yeah, it against exactly. the Rams. Bill Belichick steals it, and <laughs> you know and 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 why wouldn't you? It completely negated that lethal Todd Gurley rushing attack that had just yeah. been murdering teams all year, and then you didn't have a a, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback uh, under center there for the Rams. Uh, and Jared Goff, get, you know, had no idea what to do. And, and right. you saw what that looked like. Um, 
talk to me about uh, the run defense. Um, it seemed like uh, I, I'd say, especially in like the second quarter, I think is when this happened. Uh, Alexander Madison seemed to uh, just be breaking away kind of a lot of longer runs, you know, maybe around 10 yards or so that uh, had to be shut down by, uh, you know, the, the, the safeties and the linebackers and uh, the, the D line ended up grading out. Okay. In their run defense for the most part. And, and I wasn't, that didn't hundred percent line up with what I saw on the field. Uh, what were what were your impressions? And I felt like they did a, a pretty good job of limiting Dalvin Cook, but uh, Madison, who I think has always been maybe a more efficient back, he, what what was he doing? Um, and and finding a little more success there. And what was uh, going on with the uh, the D line in their run defense? Yeah, I'm I'm going to be upfront with you. I'm still watching the end zone copy of the All Twenty Two. I've been kind of spending all day just re- looking at what they were doing in the secondary to try to shut down shut down Jefferson, and so that's kind of okay. been my focus. Um, the what I've watched uh, and kind of my general impressions watching the game were, yeah, the the defensive line I thought held up fairly well. Um, I think that part of the struggles that maybe happened later on was that Green Bay just could not bring an extra safety in the box. They had to keep one high to help stop Jefferson. Sure. And so sure. that I think that that kind of took away from some of their original game plan. And then, like I said, some of the stuff they were doing on the first drive where they were bringing in, you know, extra linebackers kind of messing with different fronts, that kind of extra, that extra spicy stuff in the game plan that they kind of specially prepared, I think, to help Jefferson stop the run game. Away. Yeah, it, it was out the window at that point because they mm. they were just trying to devote everything to stopping Jefferson. Okay, um, so overall, I, I don't have a ton of concerns about the defense going forward. I think there's a couple things to clean up. Um, one thing stands out to me a little bit. All right, I'm, I'm going to pat them on the back first. We had a, a bunch of great pressures on the quarterback. I, I thought yeah. uh, a lot of the uh, members of the defense doing a fantastic job uh, beating their blockers uh, should have been making life hell for Kirk Cousins, <laughs> but our our DBs couldn't cover quite long enough to uh, really get any of those coverage sacks. But a lot of missed tackles in this game. We had 10 missed tackles uh, totally had three guys, uh, TJ Slayton, Devondre Campbell and Preston Smith had two missed tackles apiece. Uh, and then you had uh, Quay Walker, Jair, Darnell, and Amos all had uh, missed tackles as well. And this is one of the things that made me a little bit more concerned. Still not super concerned. But so if you think back to a year ago and the Saints game, and everybody was just just fuming about the defensive performance against the Saints. Yeah. And I didn't care at all. I was looking at it and I said, <laughs> I, I don't see one thing that makes me concerned for week two. And I'm really excited about the excellent tackling that I'm seeing in this game. And I felt like the tackling against the Vikings just it was nowhere near on the same level. And and I was mostly uh, disappointed with Devondre because that was his bread and butter last year. He was yeah. such a fantastic tackler. And to have so many of our starters uh, be some of the lowest uh, graded uh, tacklers on the team and having multiple missed tackles and having Devondre be one of those guys with two missed tackles. That was really disappointing to me. Still not super concerned. I think that they're going to be okay yeah. defensively going forward, but that frustrates me a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely understand that. Um, I, it didn't that, like I said, I'm still watching through part of the all 22. And so it might, it might pop out to me more, but I, it didn't, 
the missed tackles didn't stick out to me a whole lot during the game. There, there were definitely some, but it wasn't like there was a missed tackle that was extending it for 20 yards for the most part there. There were some exceptions. I think there was a Justin Jefferson run um, or two <laughs> that uh, maybe had that in there, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm not too worried about that. I, th- I think that we've kind of seen that uh, that that's a focus from Joe Barry. And I, I think that'll, that'll be okay. All right. Any uh, longer term concerns that you have for the defense that you think maybe are even going to present um, this coming week against the hapless Bears offense? Not really. Like I said, I think that a lot of the issues were just due to some of the inexperience of certain members of the defense. I think Rasul, he was kind of struggled with, you know, every everything he was being asked to do. I don't think that'll last. Um, Quay Walker had some, had some issues just uh, in coverage. There were some there was some stuff that he, he didn't quite uh, play as well as he could have. Again, I think that's an experience issue. Hopefully, he's out there uh, after this injury, and I, I think that those will those will just fix themselves over time. Yeah, one one of my comments after the game was the rookies all looked like rookies, and you yeah. just can't be mad about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Sam. I super appreciate your time. Um, Honestly, uh, going through and breaking down some of the uh, specifics of what happened, despite the fact that it wasn't a fun game to watch, I had fun talking about it with you. Yeah, yeah, there, there were. I, I think that there, there are in pieces of information that we could find that are valuable and, and interesting, even in something that was not fun to watch in the moment. Packers are ten and a half point favorites over the Bears. Do you think that that is too low on the Packers? It's hard. I, I I don't blame the odds makers or whoever decides what that is, what that line is for for putting that at, at that point. Just because the offense, we don't really know what they're going to look like this this coming week, right? There's will Aaron Rodgers throw to Christian Watson again? <laughs> I hope he will because he was getting open a ton uh, th- this past week. Um, I do think the defense will bounce back. I think that the offensive line and the Bears they were just they were just, you know, a, a, sieve, a sieve against the, the 49ers defensive front. And I think we've got the guys to have a similar impact. Yeah, I think the uh, Bears are going to be in trouble. Uh, I saw a stat that um, under Matt LaFleur, the average uh, margin of victory has been or not the not the average. I think it was like the minimum margin of victory after a loss in the LaFleur era has been 14 points. So, yeah. This is the exact right team to roll into town this week. Yeah, exactly. A get right game. Yeah, for both sides of the ball. All right, Sam. Appreciate you uh, coming on here. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was fun. Huge thanks to our two guests today. Follow Coach Hawn on Twitter at Coach Hawn. And Sam is on Twitter at Sam underscore D Holman. Check those two guys out. uh, Two of the smartest uh, Packers film guys out there. And if you enjoy the content on this show, patreon.com slash JJ Leahy is where you can support me and uh, help continue to make this possible. Big thank you to Jameis Quintana. He's the newest patron to join. And if you haven't already, check out my other podcast. It's called No Huddle Radio. It's on every podcast um, app out there. Uh, You can find it by just searching No Huddle Radio, or you can check out uh, Packers Talk. That's the network that that show is on. And uh, Gil Martin and I are going to break down the Bears matchup Friday morning. 
Uh, we're going to watch the 49ers game. We're going to talk about um, what the Bears are doing, what they look like, what we expect. We're going to highlight matchups. Uh, we do that every week during the season. We do game previews. Um, a lot of people like it. I think it's uh, an entertaining and informative show. So go ahead and make sure you check that out. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic day, and I'll talk to you next week.